Thanks for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. In this episode, we talk to the founder of a company who is trying to make it easier for music to be used in public-facing businesses as we explore the power of background music. But first, time to remind you all to go roll to your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. So, welcome to the show, founder of Soundtrack Your Brand, Ola Zars. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, well, well, thanks for doing this. Uh, it's Friday, listeners. How are you feeling, Ola? Feeling great, actually. It's uh, snowing here in Stockholm, Sweden, ah. and it's um, uh, you're getting some of the Christmas vibes coming already. Uh, and uh, today I'm out to buy a Christmas tree to the family. So I'm a bit, you know, maybe some Christmas music. Who knows? Chris, there we go. <laughs> there we go. I, I, do, do you walk around places that are just going, oh, that's that's some good music but it could be better if they only use my product unfortunately that's uh that's something that comes with the job and it's uh, <laughs> actually uh, quite terrifying <laughs> yeah I'm, I, I'm sure um so actually we'll let we'll let's sort of start getting into that but so a quick warning listeners this episode could get a little nerdy about the esoteric world of music licensing but i hope through the lens of Ola's company we can explore together how often innovation in music services can on the surface look like it's being held up by the often depicted difficult music industry who control access to the right to use music in that service, but who in turn are really just trying to make sure that the music, which is so utterly critical uh, to so many businesses, isn't given away for free. But before we get into all of that, um, it is important to understand who we're dealing with here. Ola isn't just some newbie to the music industry. In fact, without Ola, I wouldn't be able to listen to the music in the way that I do through Apple Music. There's a little spoiler for you there. Uh, so, Ola, please, your journey's amazing. Can you can you tell my listeners how, how you got to where you are? Um, well, it's I, I consider myself somewhat of a senior citizen in, in the music streaming space. I've been doing this for almost 15 years now, believe it or not. Nice. <clears throat> Imagine how old I am. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Very much the same age as me, I'm sure. <laughs> it's all the mindset, right? So, uh, well, I'll, I'll keep it uh, Swedish and short. Um, four different companies before Soundtrack, on basically all of them focusing on on the same challenge, which is in a world where all the music uh, in the world would be accessible anywhere, anytime at your fingertips. Um, that was what I saw 15 years ago. That that's where everything was going. Basically, the the digitization of production, the digitization of distribution, and the digitization of consumption. All happening at the same time in a big, beautiful kumbaya party, right? So um, I figured that most likely if this is going to be the future, then there'll be some need for for scaling the DJ services, right? <laughs> or scaling music selection or scaling curation or whatever you choose to call it. So I've been trying to do that, actually, um, both for the consumer markets, for, for us listeners in our headphones, or um, and now uh, in my latest startup for, for the business market. So the, the cafes, restaurants, bars, clubs, airports of the world. So I started off with um, 
building a company called Tonium, which built a product called Pacemaker. I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember that product. Well, pa- it was well, pa- basically well, pa- Pacemaker's coming back, though, right? Uh, yeah, your your, your, your yeah, old compadre is, uh, is is really pushing for it now. Right. I mean, it was. I think the idea was amazing, um, and it wasn't my idea. Uh, only with you know, we were a founding group, so. Um, but it was basically um, trying to bring music creativity to the broader consumer markets through the use case of being a DJ. I mean, getting all of the music um, into one device and basically providing them with two CDJs and, and a 2000 Pioneer mixer in the size of a sandwich. <laughs> so <laughs> what a great business idea, right? <laughs> no, but it was... Uh, it was actually a, a bigger uh, ambition. It was the ambition of, of bringing more people into the actual curation process and the mixing process, um, bringing the intelligence of all of these forward-leaning music listeners uh, into uh, ch- choosing tracks and contextualizing music, and then obviously building a, a recommendation engine based on those people's input. So we would call it the mix recipe. Uh, that we were collecting um we were giving them the best creative music platform because you could not only you know at that time actually app store didn't even exist believe it or not yeah. <laughs> the, the the pre-app store era uh, so we had to build hardware to 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 uh, connect to all of these wonderful music pacemakers around the world so we built the pacemaker product but it was one vehicle to connect to music creators worldwide or selectors and and um, we also built all the software that would, that was on the pacemaker, the software that supported the pacemaker, and also we innovated kind of an upload and share online platform for DJ mixes, which was you know seven years before Mixcloud or something. So yeah. so uh, it was quite um, innovative as a concept, uh, but it failed, and we crashed. <laughs> Too early. Too early, for sure. Too ambitious. Too early. Um, we worked day and night for four or five years, and produced hardware, software, and shipped worldwide. So it was a way too big undertaking for a startup. I think that's a lesson well learned for me. Uh, but I continued uh, on that path with uh, breaking out the online platform that was Let's Mix. That was basically um, the first upload and share DJ Mix platform. Uh, and that became quite big actually um but the short story is um it was so interesting uh, for a couple of uh, other music uh entrepreneurs on on you know in the land of opportunities um jimmy Irvine and, and and dre who had previously tried to buy a pacemaker from us uh, as well when they were doing the beats headphone business so now i had the second second chance to work with them and they acquired let's mix and uh, we started building beats music and um, Beats Music was the competitor to Spotify to go after Spotify, uh, but more driven by human curation rather than robots. Mm-hmm. So that was a thesis uh, that uh, Jimmy's brief was building a New York Times for music. And so mm-hmm. we set out to do that. And then that got acquired by Apple, t- transformed into Apple Music. And uh, I moved back home to Sweden and started the soundtrack together with Spotify as my co-founder. Soundtrack is nothing um more exciting than than uh bringing music streaming to the background music space meaning enabling businesses 
to actually use music to improve customer experience and give them the power of music stream. Well, that's the sort of the point that I, I suppose I want to start with in, in, in my sort of brief introduction. I use the word critical as, as to describe music in people's businesses. And I, I know on your website, you've, you've, you know, front and centre, there's this sort of suggestion that good music or good curated music in, in a business like a bar, restaurant, hotel, whatever, can, can see, you know, lead to an increase of around 10% plus. And, uh, and you've also done a recent study, I believe, uh, which has more numbers in. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the, the study for a second? Sure. I mean, there's uh, uh, not becoming too nerdy, as you warned. Uh, <laughs> no, let, let's, about let's licensing. My, my listeners I, like all this stuff, so you, you, you carry okay, on. Great. You, you get nerdy. So, so let's, let's start with why the hell am I doing background music, right? Yeah. So I think that's the first relevant question. Uh, coming from the consumer side and seeing the digital transformation of the music industry, either you like it or you don't like it, or you're somewhere in between where I was. But the, the fact is that actually the music industry uh, has, is bigger than it's ever been, and it's going to get even bigger. So there's something good coming out of this transition, I believe. The other thing is that <clears throat> with technology and basically the, the streaming value chain, we have introduced transparency into the music industry that has not existed before. And there, it's been a bumpy ride where everyone's, you know, pointing fingers and blaming each other for not making money per stream and so forth. But at the end of the day, the cake is becoming bigger. More creators are creating music and we need to share uh, in between more people. But it's transparent. And, and that's what's always driven me, why I kind of lean for this evolution um, and I realized in the consumer space great now this market can grow and songwriters artists can get paid when people are using their their art wonderful and and technology will win so the gentlemen in in you know the executives in the room that made the decisions before will be exposed to transparency and you know that's great so you can't be hiding money under your pillow anymore or like big black boxes where money is disappearing. Um, what I realized when, when I was at Beats and um, I started, Jimmy started sending me to talk to brands for some reason. I had no idea. I'd never done B2B before, but I realized that there were brands and businesses around the world that, you know, obviously used music for different types of enhancements of their experience which isn't new. I mean, we all know background music and as an old crappy DJ, you would know that when you, you have a good night out, you're doing, and uh, you know, we're really, really contributing to that bar's experience and business. So <clears throat> after getting the question a couple hundred times from different people, like how can we relate to music streaming? How can we use music to, you know, enhance our customer experience in our cars, in our dealerships, in our restaurants, in our, in our brand environments, online, social like, okay, there's a whole business-to-business market here for music streaming that I had no idea existed. And then the second notion I realized was it's big. It's big. It's it's a huge channel for music that I've never thought of before. Um, so back to your question around data, um, the, the driving force in the music industry, just to be very you know cynical and pragmatic, sweet, it's making money and breaking artists or the other way around, breaking artists and making money. That's basically what drives the industry. And hopefully the, uh, breaking artists 
uh, could actually also contribute to paying artists and not paying the middlemen. So that's once again um, what what makes me get up in the morning um, and feel good about myself. That I'm actually I'm not solving cancer, but I'm actually you know bringing in more value from the art of music to the people who actually create it. Uh, how I connect this to my quest into the B2B market was that it was when I realized B2B is a market for music streaming as well, but it was completely broken. It was a huge black box, dysfunctional, corrupt, where music royalties just disappeared, basically, or were distributed based on no logic whatsoever. And it was a huge market because B2B markets, you know, it usually when you look at industries evolve, there's a consumer market and then there's a B2B market. Usually the B2B market is basically as big as the consumer market in terms of value because you're extracting more value per customer. So I thought that would be an opportunity for the music industry to incrementally grow as well, adding B2B and fixing that broken market space and adding transparency and fair compensation uh, to artists and songwriters into that market. So that's kind of the underlying reason I did it. And back to bringing transparency and increasing value extraction from music, meaning that we're charging $35 per our semi-interactive subscription and $50 for our on-demand subscription for businesses. And I don't see a lot of examples of people actually being able to, to charge more for music right now. Everyone's talking about giving away music for free in the metaverse. <laughs> I was thinking about how do we monetize that? How do we bring it back to, you know, someone's trying to survive on their art? So, so there's the making money in terms of doing it in an incremental market opportunity from the business market and then transparently and fairly flowing through those royalties collected on a higher value. That was amazing opportunity when I realized that. And then the other one, you know, breaking artists. Then I started looking at, all right, there's around 100 million businesses playing music in the world, in, in, in Western economies every, every day. And there's around five to 600 consumers walking in and out of those um, commercial or those venues. And I started thinking, that's, a, that's, that's big. <laughs> you know, and I was like, wow. And then I started thinking about it. That's a huge music discovery uh, dimension that we all know about, but we've never really thought about from an industrial perspective. So I started looking at that. And then this research we just released, and we can get into that later, just, just one figure is that, in the U.S. standalone, there's 91 billion store visits every year. You know, people, uh, the U.S. consumer or citizen walks in and out of stores multiple times every day, which is a potential music discovery uh, event. And you know what? 79% of those actually pay attention to the music. And so hence the word background music is, is, is legacy now. It's not background music. It's, it's music in the foreground. It's moving, moving it to the foreground. And then the last number, and I'll be quiet, 73% of them who actually hear something of those 79% that like it, search for that song. They Google it or they use Shazam or they try, they ask uh, the person in the counter, what's this song? So here we are, uh, this B2B opportunity that can bring more money to music creators on a higher value, uh, also providing a huge promotional opportunity. There is a reason why Apple bought Shazam. You know, they, they, they understand that. There is. Yeah, they, they understand They've understood that. that for a long while. Absolutely. And 
you know, I know from having run campaigns, you, you will see spikes in your Spotify streams, for example, and you're trying to work out why. <laughs> and it's because f- for a period of time, at least, you've had your track on a playlist in a shop. And it's not just a shop, it's a chain of shops that are across the country. And you just suddenly see the spike and it's, it directly impacts revenue you know, for, for, for artists. You know, outside of the, 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 the business that you've built, it has that sort of onward, onward, onward impact. Yeah, it has a double effect. And, and uh, I was just about to, you know, jump out of my chair. Yes, you're seeing money from the yeah. consumer service, but you should also be seeing money. When looking at your royalty statement, you should be asking your label or yourself, where's the money from the business streams yeah 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 absolutely absolutely and and you very specifically are now in in possession yeah. of that information <laughs> which is excellent so i as part of the prep for this i had a chat with uh, my friend who i uh, he and i uh, have an interest in a in a bar just a regular you know independent bar he runs it day to day and I remember having a conversation with him because obviously, you know, in my friendship group, I'm the music guy. They don't know what that means, of course, but I'm the music guy. And so he said, well, look, we're doing this bar. What do we do about music? Like, do I need any special permissions, licenses, etc.? Now, that's quite a thing for anyone who's not in our business to even know to ask the question of. And I I, I said, look, I don't remember exactly, but just take me back through your experience of being a small business owner trying to figure out what to do here and i sort of wish i'd recorded it but there's no way i could have put it on the podcast because it was full of expletives uh, he was he was pretty uh clear i think uh is what, what i got from it that it was a awful terrible confusing frustrating uh you know in you know he was incensed by the whole experience and part of the problem was and i hope people from the ppl and the prs are listening his first experience of it was demand letters and court threats. And he hadn't even opened the bar at this point. But what they'd done is they'd either gone to the council and realised that a new business had been registered and was being opened and he'd got obviously his liquor licence and all the rest of it. Um, or they'd seen Facebook posts, I believe that they mentioned that they they, uh, they track people down on that uh, to see that he was doing this thing. And so instead of saying, hey, by the way, do you know that the music that you're going to play or you are playing uh, needs to be paid for because that's how these artists make their living? Um, and as a consequence, we have this licensing framework and you need to pay a fee uh, in order to... You know, none of that at all. Just you owe us money. And he felt very much like no one was ever telling him why. Uh, they didn't seem to really necessarily even understand what to charge him because he started to look at, well, they, they, they're asking questions like, how is the music going to be played? And now in the bar, there's a, a sound system, which he does use Spotify for. There's also a TV that he sometimes uses, right, because he's playing off YouTube or wants to play off YouTube. And he realized that he couldn't do so many things because it was either too expensive or there wasn't a license or whatever it was. He sometimes has live music in the bar, right? So there were all these different things. And, you know, he, he really, he really felt very much like he was uh, not being given the right information. And it was just an awful, terrible, awful experience. And 
what got me thinking during this conversation was, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the local councils in the UK. So this sorry, this is very UK. Apologies, listeners. In the UK, uh, we're we, you know we have these kind of regions. They're 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 counties, and they have um, they have councils that look after sort of local things like licenses for businesses. Why is it that in the music industry, where you've got countries like the UK, where there's a framework for other types of licenses that companies, organisations, sorry, not companies, organisations like the PPL and the PRS don't work with the local infrastructure to say, hey, when you get a new business that's likely to have this music usage, any chance you could just get, you know, get them to pay a fee to you and then pass it on to us? Like, why doesn't that happen? Like, and I was talking to somebody last night and apparently this happens with education for uh, sheet music, for example. And so there is there is a connection there. And wouldn't that make everything a lot easier? Because I, I note on your website that despite the fact that you have this uh, business that uh, that helps other businesses get music, you don't or can't get, and I wanted to ask you this question, there are some exclusions. So in the UK, if you want to use your service, you've still got to go and get a PPLPRS license. What, why is it that you've either been un- unable to or haven't yet got to or you know what is the reason that that's not included in in your fee for example yeah there's a short version and a long version i'll, <laughs> I'll do the short version yeah okay first of all i just want to echo your your partner's uh, pain point he speaks for the whole world of small business owners who actually have an intent to do right most of them that want to buy sourcing products sustainably they want to be a good corporate almost everyone does it's just that in this instance the it's the really like it's the music industry in your face it's so complex that you're we're completely creating this huge friction for everyone for something that should be so easy so so my quest is obviously to try to solve that for the business users around the world so we can monetize more business owners correctly. They're happy to pay more if it's easy and great. They are. So first of all, I want to move to the wet, to the land of opportunities in the, in the West. In US and Canada, we have actually been able to include what you're referring to is called performance rights. We've actually been able to include that in our subscription, which is completely unique. So if you were opening a bar in Alabama instead, you would be able to buy soundtrack. First of all, get the licenses for the service correctly, B2B, So which you need to have because Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon as services are consumer services. That it's basically illicit to use them. And that's not my job to shove that in the face of small businesses. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying it for the better course of actually music creators getting paid when somebody's using your music to sell more coffee. And everyone buys into that. So you need to have a business license service, first of all, which we, for simplification reasons, call the pipe out, the music pipe out. Um, otherwise, it would be like opening a cinema with a Netflix account. Or like if, if you think about the pubs in the UK that all you can relate to that show the Premier League. Uh, of course, they have business subscriptions because the pub is using, you know, the, the Arsenal Man United game to fill the pub. Um, and it costs, you know, I don't know if you guys have that in your bar, but, you know, it's it's 20, 30,000 yeah, pounds we, per year. We don't so for that reason. 
the, the bar's yeah. not, the bar's not big enough to have enough people in to make that you right know. but the ones who do have the right to take make that decision and yeah. that market has been completely regulated and they'll do the you know the 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 business case of that and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but it's been regulated right so it's the same thing for music you need to have the business subscription in order to be legit basically in order to pay the the, the creators correctly then on top of that uh, to your point you also need to cover something called performance rights meaning the right to perform the music out of the speakers and I'm not going to go into the legal historical reasons for this. It's just the prerequisite that we need to live by. I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to include the performance rights in the subscription, which would, you know, they wouldn't have to go to the local community, as you were referring to. They would, they could go online and get a service and, and cover all the rights. And by the way, that service would also uh, report and reimburse the music creators on a use basis. So, which is not the case with PPL and, and PRS, by the way, uh, because they don't have the data for the playback. So it's impossible for, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll nerd out a little bit of, on the reason why they exist. But, uh, I mean, they exist for a good reason. They agreed, exist agreed. to and, represent rights. And, 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 and I do want that to be clear. Like, I yeah. believe in their quest. I just want it to I, be me, better. Me too. It's just that technology so... These organizations, and they exist in all European markets in the U.S. as well, and, and they exist in order to protect the music creators' rights, right? Um, but uh, they have mandates from publishers or from labels to collect certain revenue streams that the labels or publishers don't want to deal with themselves. That's the simple uh, kind of explanation. For example, doing the Grammys. For example, collecting TV and radio. Um but in a digital digital economy, back to my 15-year quest here, um, we actually have the data now, the, the real usage-based data. So user-centricity and user-centric reporting that, that everyone's talking about is actually viable today, mm -hmm. specifically in B2B, which I'm actually pioneering. So when PPL in the UK collect for background music, which way, which they do on a mandate, because no one else wants to do it. So they're doing the right thing. They are uh, obviously aggressively in this example, collecting it, but are they really righteous in the way that they are redistributing it? Uh, and I don't think the intent is not to be. I just think uh, time has flown and they've a little bit forgotten about how, I mean, shouldn't we actually be complying to usage-based um reconciliation and remuneration paying the actual songwriter who, who got played and, and and or the actual artist but mm -hmm. if you don't have the data then it's really hard so most of these societies work on an analogy basis meaning they collect aggressively but then when they redistribute they redistribute on radio playback and make it so it's, it's actually completely broken i'm sorry it is i know the intent is great yeah. And uh, the reason for the existence is, is legit. But if they are to be, you know, relevant in the future, um, they need to be able to secure that the royalties collected are redistributed fairly, transparently. Yep. Uh, so uh, it, it was a long rant around your, I mean, your bar. But that's, I mean, and, and I think everyone would agree in the industry. And, and so in your conversations with them, why is it that, I mean, let's face it, if you're, because your fees are pretty, in my opinion, pretty cheap, right? They're pretty accessible to, to most businesses, right? 
add another 10, 20, 30 a month, whatever it might be, just to wrap all that up. Why, why is it that you've not been able to secure that as part of your, your deal? We have been in the US and Canada, which are primary, because we, we were doing it based on your bar. You, sure, but in the, wonder, in the UK, like, what are they saying to you? Right, so it's coming. Uh, it's coming, I, okay. And my, cool. ambition, my ambition is to do so worldwide. So that the so we will get every one of those 128 million venues paying properly on a premium level on a usage basis. But remember, um, this is um, this is music history here. It's these organizations obviously um, have a job to do, and they're doing it. And the first human part of human nature isn't giving away your revenue streams, right? So even if you're there to protect the industry, I mean, uh, we, we need to, in a productive, collaborative way, get to a point where it becomes better for everyone, for the music creators as well as, as the businesses. So I'm going to work to try to find a good way of, 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 of you know, bridging this gap uh, of the, the, the way it works today in terms of collecting performance rights and how it should work in the future. I think I heard in there a a point that I've witnessed on a few occasions in this industry, the, let's call it maybe paranoia, bit of protectionism. Is it that they're reluctant to work with commercial entities like yourself because they want to be the gatekeepers of that collection process and they're not yet seeing you as a plus point bonus to improvement of what they then need to go on and do are you are you getting that sort of reluctance from them i think i think everyone's doing it for what they believe is a good cause mm -hmm. so i really do believe in i'm not that cynical to see that people are are doing something just for their own profit and kind of like you know taking money that's not theirs or anything they're they're doing it in order to redistribute uh, to the music creators and take you know some something in between in order to stay like because they're they're non-profits most of them in europe mm -hmm. and they're there as you know um uh, 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 a supporting organization for the music industry so so uh but of course if if it's been there for you know 45 or 50 or 60 or 70 years um and you have a mandate to collect something and that's the revenue stream of your organization and here comes technology and says look we're going to take away this and we're going to improve the efficiency of collection and redistribution of royalties and in that evolution your role will sooner or later you know disappear no human being really likes to hear that so being very blunt, uh, you need to also think about that. There's other good things that they do in this. They're informing, they're, you know, they're protecting um, the music creators' rights. It's just we need to get everyone to understand that there is a more efficient and fair way of collecting and redistributing. That will build a bigger cake once again. That will collect more money for music creators in a more efficient way. Okay, so so at the moment we think that they're just being uh, cautious and careful and considered about adopting new practices to run their organization. Is that is that fair? Right, and like exactly like with consumer music streaming, 
it, it was it's not like that helped, happened overnight and everyone was jumping up and down uh of, you know enjoying the fact that now we have direct consumer distribution in with real-time reporting and and remuneration that has taken 10 years yeah we collectively as an industry don't move very quickly sometimes there was a, there was a point in time when uh, your business was a part of spotify it was spotify for business yeah. just just curious like that i mean that that feels like a fantastic you know thing for spotify to to have you sitting there adding to their their revenue stream why, why are you now out on your own what what went on there well, we started off um, together um, with a really good intent. Um, it was I moved back home and I had this idea. I want to start the streaming service for businesses. And I know that starting streaming service is not about downloading music from iTunes, uploading it to a server and getting a, you know, um, an off-the-shelf license and stream stuff without any reporting or rumors. It's actually you need to do the direct deals. You need to build infrastructure to support uh, a user-centric um, streaming model. And building that infrastructure costs $20, $30 million um, and takes three, four years. So, uh, and I had painfully experienced that in my previous gigs. Yes, you, you alluded uh, to it earlier. Yes, and so the idea was, if I want to get started with the actual interesting thing, which what, what does the user um experience looked like for businesses versus consumers which i had figured out was completely different then i i don't want to spend my time and money on building the you know replicating the back-end infrastructure that i built before and spotify had built the best so i thought i'd just walk over the street and literally over the street uh, to daniel martin and say um, hey look i'm going to start a you know a streaming service for business so i think it's a huge incremental opportunity but it's very different but but the back-end service is the same so then we agreed to start it together so I could use the Spotify backend and we would do some initial test licensing to what would this look like? What would it cost? And what would be the royalty distribution model? Everything that needs to be in place and when you're kind of starting, a, a, you know, it's a completely new streaming model, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the equivalent workload of like when, when starting up consumer streaming. But then I could use that beautiful backend and I can focus my developers and product team on, on the business use case. So uh, we co-founded um, Soundtrack um, with the ambition to try out what B2B streaming would be. The consequence of co-founding and using the Spotify backend was that they needed to do the initial test licensing deals because we were distributing from their backend and their sourcing. And hence, the initial product needed to be called Spotify Business and Spotify Enterprise. There was actually two products. So we, we uh, used that collaboration for a, a fairly sophisticated uh, uh, proof of market concept. Um, and we did that for three years, something. And then we I built and launched. And then I realized this is actually a huge market. And businesses do want to buy streaming. Um, and so I started off with moving away from home but that took almost five years doing 16,000 direct deals with publishers and, and labels at the same time as building out our own independent service and then 2018 we rolled out soundtrack in our first markets with the world's first direct licensed b2b service and our own product amazing uh yeah that, that actually makes a lot of sense i didn't know some of that um and i think one of the important things that you were uh getting to there was 
what you've what you, the the difference between your platform and something like the regular consumer Spotify is that you have this focus on the exploitation type that is different. And I noticed again on 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 your website that there are some presumably just and I don't know I don't necessarily care to know, but some complicated licensing relationships with certain societies like uh, GMR uh, and and CISAC. And you're able to carve those things out because your business is geared to to handle all of that. And so, because to me, you know, bar owners like my friend, they don't care for like the the difficulties around licensing. They just want to not be sued. They want to not be taken to court. They want to just do it as properly as you can. To your point earlier, most people go into whatever they're going into for good, positive reasons. I I think. And so, you know, your business really does protect these types of small business owners from making mistakes that they don't know that they're making uh, and, and you know so how do you how do you think you can get that message out more i mean you know what's what's your kind of what's in your head about how do you educate kind of this whole new sector of of business that 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 doesn't understand music well first of all my my mission is to get to a point where you don't have to educate more than get soundtrack and you're covered 100%. That's where we need to get to in order to get all businesses kind of jumping in. And they're happy to pay $50 today in the US, maybe even, you know, $100 if we solve that problem. And, and that, once again, I need to, everyone to understand that here is an opportunity to extract, I would say, 20 to 30% on top of consumer streaming for us. And that's, that's significant. It's a meaningful new revenue stream that it has been, you know, completely put aside and no one's been looking at it and it's been misused. So, so back to your question, how do I educate? I think my biggest challenge first is educating the music industry, including the societies and everyone that we may need to make it easy for the business owner to buy music and she will be glad to pay if she knows it's, it's legit mm-hmm. it, it, and if it's redistributed fairly. And they don't get threats the first thing they get. Yeah. They actually get a great service. And they and they get educated and stimulated in terms of using music to drive their business, which they already way, already have understood. And the beauty is, I mean, everyone's using music today, but it's just so darn complicated to use it. So they're they're stressed out and we just want to simplify. And that will, will unlock this market. So I think educating them i would rather say let's simplify it for them as a music industry in order to enable them to buy on a premium price point that's that's pretty interesting isn't it mm-hmm. so that's my job i do have to educate as of today obviously and we're very clearly like we don't cover performance rights in europe but we have been able to in the us and that's a whole book in itself how we got there but in the us you buy our service and cover performance fees and the master rights uh, so you is, you is it a different price point? For everything. Do, do, do you charge slightly more in, in the US because you have those licenses? Yes, a little there? bit more, but we I think we sh- we're going to increase pricing significantly because we're actually... So if you're a bar owner in Brooklyn and you're using Spotify illicitly, which you can get sued and get your business taken away from you if you do, um, and you are also paying ASCAP, BMI, for example, or performing rights societies in the US, you're actually paying more you're do, getting three invoices. Uh, one of them is illegit, and the two others are 
really, you know, really an odd market, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And you can get all of that in one invoice, which also, by the way, is something very important for business. They don't want a lot of invoices. And they want to be able to pay through, you know, digital payment methods like PayPal or direct debit or credit card. And you're all covered and you know that the music you're playing is being paid to that songwriter friend you have in Nashville when when her track is played. So it's, it's um, I mean, educating the market is I have to do it now to get people, you know, thinking about it. But honestly, we should simplify for them together because it unlocks the value. I mean, you couldn't even explain to your, I mean, you're a music guy explaining to your partner around what he needs to pay and what to cover in order to run the bar. I mean, oh, who oh, knows that? I uh, actually, so to finish that story, uh, the conversation, what actually happened was I had explained it to him. He did go off and get all the licenses and he still got a threatening letter because they hadn't I actually like checked. So I think there was a, a disconnect in their business, in their organization. <laughs> where there was a license that had been granted and paid for, but there was another business part that was going off and just looking for new businesses that were starting. And so he got this like <laughs> demand letter. He was like, I'm sure I've done this already. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And at that point, I mean, everyone needs to self-critically view, why are we here? Yeah. Like, what was the raison d'etre of our existence? And and to be a bit philosophical, it is to protect the creative arts of music. And I know I'm a commercial DSP, and I that's what I do. I build a commercial business, and I, I try to build the best music business and scale it and make a lot of money based on being a distributor. But I will be 100% transparent how much I pay uh, for for the, the song songwriters through the publishers and how much I pay to the labels. And I will report exactly what I played and I will, re- you know, see to it that it's distributed fairly through it. And that's what we need to remember. Like it needs to be transparent. We need to understand why we're here. And if you're a nonprofit, then obviously the job would be to maximize the efficiency in that distribution and, and maximize the value extraction of the music. So, I mean, it does sound a bit like high, high level, I know, but that's really the job. Um, and just for uh, just as a note for music creators that are listening, uh, back to my previous kind of statement, you should ask your label or yourself, like, where's the money from from B two B on your royalty statement when you're reading it. And for on the label side, which is one huge part of uh, obviously where we license, we license the, sim- the similar amount of labels worldwide as Spotify does. We're actually paying more than ten times. In absolute numbers, dollars, pounds, euros, pesetas, whatever, <laughs> whatever currency you're talking, then as, as a, a, a consumer subscription service. Yeah. So, so it's 10x for the label, which then should be distributed 10x to the artist. It's actually six to seven x for the publisher, which then should be distributed six to seven x to the songwriter. It's that much. And what they and what we need to do is we need to fix it. And if we start adding performance fees on top of that as well, then we're adding to the excess and the correct distribution of those rights as well to the songwriter, to the composer, or to the to the artist. So it's significantly more per subscription, and the businesses are happy to pay. What better prerequisites could the music industry get to 
unlock incremental monetization opportunity. Absolutely. This is a very noble cause that you are on. So uh, thank you for doing it uh, on, on behalf of uh, the, the the record industry, the publishing industry uh, and the uh, the artists, of course. And so I'm artists. doing it for, for to building a val- valuable company and I'm doing it to build a leading brand and I'm doing it of pure commercial reasons. But I'm uh, but I'm but it's a win win because when I do it, I can also get up in the morning and look myself in the mirror and say, look, we're actually yeah. distributing more royalties to the music creator because without them we're nothing yep yeah yeah absolutely so next 12 months what does it look like for you guys because one of the things that we perhaps should talk about is uh you know given what what you were saying about you can go into a venue and shazam something that globally uh, these venues have not been open shops included Uh, you know how, how how was covid as an impact on your business presumably pretty pretty disastrous Oh yeah, no. I thought it was over. I thought it was really? good night, to be honest. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, I, I, we just spent 2018 and 2019 rolling out 75 markets on, yeah. enabling 58 million tracks. You know, with the correct licensing and distri- uh, you know, just getting you know tired thinking of it. And I looked up from my desk and thought, oh, 2020, this is going to be the year when we actually were able to. To, oh, man. <laughs> to to you know really meet the customers with this amazing offering but that didn't happen obviously we uh, we completely it was like we took a torpedo hit right in the middle of the ship and just went down um everything closed down we lost more than 35 percent of our top line revenue in a couple of weeks i just saw the business uh, you know collapsing so that that was my uh, wow. you know q1 q2 2020 but we fought back and we didn't give up and we helped our customers to pause uh, or discount. And we did everything we could to keep them going and staying alive. And we jumped in between markets, obviously opening and closing. And slowly, slowly, slowly it, it panned out. And then slowly, slowly, slowly it started moving up again. And and, and um, two years mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, lost opportunity, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that uh, March wasn't it, twenty uh, twenty. Mm. So yeah, so we're we're really about to hit that, and of course, you know, at this point of recording, I think Germany's just gone back into lockdown. Yep, it's tough. It's tough right yeah. now. It's very tough, it's... and our business is right in the middle of it. So, yeah. so it hasn't been. <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't been easy for sure uh, and i'm not the person that usually complains so it's you know just the music industry isn't that easy and this quest that i'm on right now uh, isn't easy as such you know uh, getting all the ppls and everyone in the world yeah. under you know buying into the fact that we should change this whole model and then add some global pandemic on top of that and there we are yeah Okay, I mean, so in which case, going back to a sort of half-assed question, the next 12 months, what does it look like for you guys? Uh, well, now, I, I mean, we haven't seen uh, yet in our business the effects of what's going on right now in Germany and so forth, but we most likely will. Um, so we're all preparing for, you know, when you're flying into storm again, like buckle up, everyone, you know. Uh, let's let's pay attention and what's going on um but let's just dream of a world yes. where this let's doesn't dream. happen and, let's dream. <laughs> uh, yeah let's think about but i think we just came out of a very productive period launching the on-demand product which is soundtrack unlimited which is you know the world's first 
uh, on-demand product for B2B where you could create your own playlist and do whatever you want. And uh, and um, we've um, really, and that was enabled by us also agreeing with Universal Music on, on kind of the model, uh, which has taken us almost four years, um, which is great. So we see huge demand for the product. Um, and we're still a very small company. We're only 74 people and only operating out of Stockholm. So oh, wow. uh, in 75 markets. So we're one one employee per market, more or less. Yeah. Um, so 12 months, if we are able to dream that this might actually be not as tough as the other you know, breakouts, then uh, it's, it's all about growth for us. It's all about growing the, the business globally and collecting more and more money for us and for the for the rights holders and for the music creators and, and i think we can we're at fifty thousand subscriptions today which sounds small in the context of you know the hundreds of millions that the consumer services have but and that and and the fact is that there's hundreds maybe 150 million potential venues that we should be going after firstly so we have a lot of work to do mm. basically um, and the good news about music is that the consumer services have educated this market that they can buy itself service online, which means that we can scale globally, just like Spotify or, or Apple and without, you know, buying people expensive dinners and steaks and wine bottles. It's, we, we can effectively distribute this new incremental opportunity, this meaningful revenue stream for the music industry. Um, and growth is priority one, two and three. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing all of this. I think this is going to be a, a really popular episode. I think, uh, I don't I, I wonder how many people really give this opportunity much thought. Uh, so I hope that uh, we can focus people's minds on uh, a slightly more holistic view of the record industry rather than just chasing a New Music Friday placement. Um, I can I just add something. That I think that labels, A&R teams, and all the great people working with artists, should, should, when they think about the, the marketing of mm-hmm. an album, a release, or a re-release, or whatnot, should also think about how can we add B2B to the equation as one of many marketing channels? Can we can we push uh, it into one of the soundtracks that or one of the playlists that soundtrack distribute for you know, cafe channel. Can we can we work with the brand and release our stuff in Joan the Juice? You know, it's here. The platform is here now. And the good news is it's both a marketing opportunity, reaching consumers, but also monetization opportunity. Actually, yeah, it's probably worth just, uh, could you just name check a few of the, the the large global companies that most people would recognize? I mean, you just mentioned Joan jo the Juice there. Right. I mean, I, I mean, our main customers aren't the big chains. It's like all of the small entrepreneurs around the world, which like are th- that's really the scalable market for us. Right. But we do get the big brands as well. Uh-huh. Um, so Lululemon, McDonald's, uh, Joe and the Juice, uh, J. Crew in the U.S. Uh, th- there's so many. There's, that's, that's, there's, yeah, there's that's a huge good. bunch of them. That's pretty good. But yeah, I was just really just to sort of give a flavor of that opportunity that you just mentioned there that the label should be thinking about. Very and I good. think those big chains, by the way, if anyone's listening, I mean, I think they really think about the sustainability perspective of when they're sourcing music. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, they, they have a go at, you know, really trying to push the prices down. But if it's sustainability that's important for them, then I, I don't think $50 for a big H&M store per month is too much. 
No. <laughs> yeah, no, come on. So, <laughs> so I think all. all everyone should chip in to a more healthy and, and, and you know, functioning uh, music market. Well, I mean, th- th- this is it. I mean, this is one of the other you know, conversations I had with my friend. We uh, very purposefully use music to create moments in the bar. So there are certain trigger tracks that we will play because we know that the 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 customers, the patrons of the bar, will react in a certain way, and it means that they, well, many things. They have fun, right? They they feel uh, there's an energy. It creates a good memory for them, and of course they come back. And typically they might also buy a few extra drinks uh, when they're there because they stay a bit longer. And you shouldn't be shy saying that you're running a yeah. business, yeah, yeah, just no, like sure. the music artists, like. So of course that's the synergy. It's there, yeah. and that's why we're there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, one final question, and I, <laughs> I feel a bit uh, awkward asking you this, given how much you've got to do. But I mean, you're you're a serial entrepreneur. Are there other projects you're involved with, or are there other things that you have been thinking about or actively involved with? Or is there anything like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, given where I'm at right now, it's been pretty much heads down, and also my religion is focused. So. I, I kind of focus on one thing and put all my eggs in one basket. <clears throat> so um, it is soundtrack and my family. That's basically what I do. <laughs> my social life, we just discussed that towards, is not that great right now. Um, but I'm, I'll do a big comeback soon, so don't worry. <laughs> but, but, but yes, I am thinking about how I can, you know, expand on this quest about understanding the deeper meaning of music. And there is a deeper meaning. And this is why this, this, this background music business that I'm doing that doesn't sound so sexy, right, is actually really interesting yeah. when you think about the neuroscientific effects of music and how music can help people with, you know, with dementia, you know, from mental health stuff. There's so many things in terms around the the research around music that's so interesting that I could potentially combine with actually running soundtrack, but also learning more about where I could potentially also contribute with some type of other meaning than just collecting premium royalty rates to the music creators. So that's probably I'd still stay in and I'm looking at a couple of those projects right now and I'm not sure if I have the time. But, but it would be really cool kind of more you working with the academic world on kind of research and scientific uh, angles on, on music effects on the human brain. Absolutely love that. Well, I, I hope you do uh, turn your talents to uh, to helping people like that at some point. But uh, but yeah, continue on with where you are right now. Keep re- re- My religion is, is focused. Love that. Fantastic. Not heard that before. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, Thank you so much, Ola. This has been an so the Swedish atheist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that buys a Christmas tree and goes to church. So. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, again, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing all of that. That's been excellent. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. No worries. So to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter and Instagram handle is at Alex Branson, or you can head to the website www.abcmusic.co where you'll find a contacts page and get in touch with the show there. Uh, Shout out to the incredible audio assassins who provided the music branding for the show. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. (laughs) 